there is a common expectation of man that happens to correspond with a common theme throughout Scripture. I could pick dozens of verses to represent this. I put Proverbs 11.8 up here, and I think it's kind of what we all expect. It's kind of what we want. The righteous are delivered from trouble, but the wicked walk into it. It's a rule. It works. Good people get good things. Bad people get bad things. We count on it. Well, we... We count on it most of the time. You know, I absolutely want to see that rule working when I've done good and people I don't like have done bad. But on that very, very, very rare occasion where maybe I've done bad or my enemies have done good, well, then I hope it's not a rule but more of just kind of a general guideline. (laughs) No, folks, I tell you something. This is a rule We live by and we look out into our world and we expect to see it working. As a matter of fact, I I think for Christians, I think it's more than a rule. This is a part of how we understand God, isn't it? We, We believe God to be just. We believe God to be fair. And so we expect that a just and fair God is going to make sure. He's going to guarantee that good people are rewarded and blessed. And bad people are punished and frustrated. That's what God does. That's what we expect Him to do. Do We expect this rule to work. And when it doesn't, when this is not at work, when we look around us and it, it seems like bad people are being rewarded and good people are suffering, man, that causes a real crisis of faith. And it's one in which the scriptures and the Psalms help us to deal with. Would you turn with me this morning to Psalm 73? Open up your Bibles here in our our sanctuary out there at Commonwealth 20. Let's open up the word to Psalm 73. Kind of there in the middle of your Bible. You should find the Psalms and look for the 73rd one. As you're turning there, let me give you a little background information. Psalm 73 is a part of a group of Psalms, 73 to 89. And you'll find in this group of psalms a a theme that pops up, the sanctuary. You're going to see it in Psalm 73. You're also going to find that most of these psalms are written by a real good friend of yours, Asaph. You had lunch with him this week, didn't you? Yeah, you know, Asaph's not a, a big name we know from Scripture. But boy, folks, make no mistake, he was a big name in Jewish history. Asaph is a Levite. He is one of three musicians that was appointed by David to kind of like run the country uh, from, from the st- sense of worship. I mean, there, there was worship leaders all over the nation of Israel, but Asaph led in Jerusalem, the, the capital city. He actually led in front of the Ark of the Covenant. I mean, that, that's kind of central to the whole presence of God. And so that's who we're talking about with Asaph. And Asaph was a godly man, a righteous man. He was not only a gifted musician, but Jewish history reveres him even as a prophet. And one of the things we learn about Asaph is he had a profound impact for worship, not just on the generation of people that he led, but even in the centuries that followed. As a matter of fact, long after Asaph's life, there is a choir 
that is called the sons of Asaph. And they'll pop up from time to time in in Old Testament, and they're usually a part of seeing the nation come back to God. They're they're usually a part of revival and and passion for God. So you got a little bit of a feel for who we're talking about. This is a godly man, a gifted musician, a prophet. He's a man that had a profound impact on an entire generation of worshipers and even worshipers beyond his life. Let's see what he has to say to us today. Look down here at Psalm 73, verse 1. Truly, God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They're not in trouble as others are. They're not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and they speak malice. Loftily they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens and their tongue struts through the earth. Therefore, his people turn back to them and find no fault to them. And they say, how can God know? Is there any knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked. Always at ease, they increase in riches. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said, I will speak this, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. Truly you set them in slippery places. You make them to fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors, Like a dream when one awakes, O Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast towards you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand, you guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works." We just heard this great man of God say, hey, I almost lost my faith. I I, I almost fell away from the Lord. I actually got to the place where I was questioning if following God, if obeying God was even worth it. Man, folks, I look at Psalm 73 and I think, how did this get in the Bible? Man, we need to hire that, you know, cleanupmyreputation.com folks. Have them come in. We got a bad review written right here on the internet site. Somebody has to get this out of here. Hey, you know why it's there? Because it's real. This is real. And folks, God helps us 
with what is real. God deals with what is real. I, I think in a general sense, Psalm 73 is, is dealing with the big question of, of the problem of suffering and evil. And, and then it boils it down. That's a big topic, but then it boils it down to something a little more specific. And it deals with this concept of, hey, I look around and it seems like bad people are getting good things and good people are getting bad things. And, and it causes a crisis for Asaph. As a matter of fact, we can probably frame this discussion uh, uh, from, a, from a study we've already done. You remember a couple of weeks ago we looked at Psalm 93. Remember that psalm when, when we saw God on his throne, God is reigning, and we said that you and I, or Psalms 93 says, we can trust what comes forth from that throne. We can trust the product of his rule. And Asaph would say, yeah, I get that. I, I do. But God, if you're reigning, if you're ruling, then why are they getting away with that? Why, why aren't you doing something about that? And the lack of seeing God do something led him to a place where he almost lost his faith. Now what Psalm 73 is for you and for me is it is a, a journey of watching one man work through his crisis of faith. And do you notice where he starts? Verse 1 would be the answer. Notice where he starts. I actually think there's something very profound here in verse 1. What, what does it say? God is good. Now wait a minute. This, this psalm isn't about God being good, is it? As a matter of fact, this psalm is about me struggling with the fact that I can't see God being good. Notice where Asaph starts in his struggle with faith. You know, folks, when I look at my own life, when I look at people that I've talked to that are, that are going through kind of a crisis of faith, you know what we start with? We start with our accusation. We start with our question. We start with our frustration. God, why didn't you? What about over there? You should have. You should not have. We start with the problem. I think there's a little lesson for us here in verse 1. I think Asaph is actually communicating, hey, listen, when you're struggling with your faith in God, start with your faith in God. Start with what you do believe. And then he kind of unloads. He stated what I believe. I believe God is good, but now verse 4 and following. And, and he goes on talking about, he's, he's watching these bad people in the world. Now, you know what we don't know? I've read this, you can't really tell. Is he talking about a specific group of bad people? Maybe some enemies, maybe some people that are causing him problems. You know, a neighbor and that nasty dog of theirs. I mean, what, is he pointing to somebody specifically? Or is he just watching the news and saying, my gosh, look at this world. You, you ever watch the news and think, my gosh, this place is going to hell in a handbasket. You know, I, I don't know what Asaph's looking at. I don't know if he sees a name and a face. I don't know if he's just looking at humanity. But what he sees is, man, people are sinning. People are being bad. And it looks like it's helping them. It, it, not only are they getting away with it, they, they seem to be profiting from it. And they mock God. They mock the idea of God. They, they certainly mock any idea that a rule's in place. That if you do bad things, there's going to be bad consequences. They, they, they laugh at that idea. That's silliness. 
Now, you know, to me the shocker is not that Asaph is sitting back and taking all this in. The shocker for me is verse 3. You see what he says there? He starts all this off by saying, hey, I envied them. Well, what does that mean? Hey, I wanted what they wanted, what they have. Hey, listen, Lord, if sexual immorality and greed and violence, if if getting ahead and getting even and living for self, if that's going to work, sign me up for it. I mean, that's, that's the easier way to do things. Yeah, sign me up for that. You see, he's not just struggling with, hey, I saw somebody do bad and I didn't see God punish them in the next moment. Man, his struggle is much bigger than that. He's saying, I'm seeing people do bad and it's profiting them. It's working for them. They're, they're getting ahead. And then I come to church and, oh my gosh, my, my good friend over here, I mean, they just had somebody pass away and we prayed about this friend of ours and life group that just got laid off and this one just found out they had cancer. Lord, it looks like your people are just getting kicked in the teeth. And, and then he asks a really real and difficult question. So what's the point of obedience? Have I washed my hands? Have I tried to be clean for absolutely nothing? And this is where the crisis of faith comes. This is where I say, why is 73 in the Bible again? Why is this in here? Folks, I'm going to tell you something. I love the Bible for Psalm 73. Let me tell you something. You go to any religion in this world that you want, you go into those writings and you won't find anything like a Psalm 73. You know why? Because false gods and false religions can't handle accusations and questions and frustrations. But a real God says, hey, this is real life. This is real. I know what you're experiencing. Let's do this. Let's let's talk about it. Let's work through it. And that's what we have in Psalm 73. Now, I want to call halftime, okay? Let's run into the locker room. That was a hard first half, wasn't it? Man, you know, God's people getting kicked in the teeth. The other team is winning. And then there's this verse 15. We're we're about halfway through the game. And and, and verse 15 pops up. And if you read through that, it doesn't really fit, does it? He's going on and on and on. Bad people, bad people, bad people. What is this? Hey, Wait a minute, if I just said this out loud, I'd have betrayed the children of your generation. You know, I said a moment ago that Asaph had a great impact on a generation of worshipers. And he also had a great impact on a generation of following worships. The, the, the coming generation, centuries beyond him. And I think what we have in verse 15 is a little bit of insight into how this man was able to have such a profound impact on lives around him and lives to follow him. You ready for this? He cared. In the midst of his struggle, remember, he's not okay with God right now. He's struggling with God. And yet right in the middle of that, he stops and says, hey, wait a minute, what kind of impact is this going to have on people watching? What what impact will this have on my kids? What what impact will this have on the people I go to church with, on on the people who are going to follow after me? You know, it's it's almost like he's thinking about his legacy. We, We don't use that word a lot, do we? Thinking about our legacies. Matter of fact, about the only time we use it is when we're thinking about a president. 
especially those presidents that get two terms, a Clinton, a Bush, now an Obama. And you'll notice it's already started to happen, but as they start moving into their second, you know, there's two or three years more to go, they're going to start, they being the media, they're going to start talking about this president's legacy. And when they're talking about a president's legacy, they're not just talking about what, what is he doing right now? What, is, what decisions is he making? How are they doing? They start talking about what are the, how's this president going to shape America, the America of 20, 30, 40 years from now? That's a legacy. It, it's the things that you do that extend well beyond you. But folks, it's not just a president that has a legacy. Every one of us has legacy. Do you know what? Everybody in this room has been impacted, some positively, some negatively, some in some very minor ways, some in some very major ways, but we have all been impacted by parents, grandparents, and great-grandparents. Some of us don't even realize that some of the things we're dealing with go back two, three generations. And there are things two or three generations from now that we're passing down through the family that impacts. You know how Asaph had his impact? He just stopped and said, hey, right here in the middle of my struggle, I got to stop and think, man, if I voice this, how I voice this, how I handle this, this affects people. That, that just boggles my mind that in the midst of struggling with God, he can stop and be concerned about that. And yet that's exactly what Asaph shows us. Okay, half time's over. Let's go back out to the field. So we come now to verse 16. And, and what you see in this psalm, if I were summarizing the first 16 verses, I see Asaph saying, hey, in the moment, I'm looking around and the evidence seems pretty clear to suggest sin works. Sin will get you what you want. Sin will get you where you want to go. I'm not so sure godliness works. I'm not so sure godliness is making a difference. And God, I don't see you doing anything about this. I don't see you rectifying this problem. He has arrived at a real crisis of faith. And then verse 17 happens. He walks into the sanctuary. He gets clarity. He comes into God's presence to get God's perspective. What is the clarity? What, what is the perspective? Two words we see it at the end of every movie. The end. The end. The end is what pulls it all together. The end is what makes sense of the, of the unsensible. The end is where it's made right. What was the clarity? The end. Jesus talks about the end a lot. Matter of fact, in Matthew 24, he says, Come, you who are blessed of my Father, and receive the kingdom that has been prepared for you from the foundation of the world. But he also says, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And these will depart into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Folks, it was this knowledge, it was this truth, it was this vision that Paul was thinking of when he speaks to us in Galatians 6, 7. He says, listen, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived when you're watching the news. Don't be deceived when you're watching your boss. Don't be deceived when you're watching your neighbor. God is not mocked. 
Bottom line, what a man sows is what a man's going to get. Galatians 6, 7 is the answer to Psalm 73. You might want to write that right out there next to Psalm 73. Galatians 6, 7. And by the way, it is the answer that Asaph came to in verses 18 and following. Listen, folks, here's the bottom line. No one's getting away with anything. No one is getting away with anything. Now, this morning, we have kind of bashed the rule. Of course, it was Psalm 73 that did that. Psalm 73 kind of helped us bash the rule. Hey, bad people are doing, getting good and good people are getting bad. But folks, let's back up for a moment and remind ourselves that actually the rule mostly works. Actually, the rule is in operation. Generally speaking, when you're living according to God's Word, as we talked about last week, when you're living by God's principles, guess what? There's a lot more meaning. There's a lot more purpose. There's a lot more strength. There's a sense of direction. There's a lot less stress. There's a lot less problems. I didn't say no problems, but they're certainly not self-inflicted problems. Generally speaking, when you do good, you get rewarded in this life, but always in eternal life. And generally speaking, folks, when you and I, when people ignore God's Word, we live in defiance of God's Word, guess what? Bad things happen. That is a lot more stressful. That is a lot more difficult life. That life hurts a lot of people. And that life receives consequences right here and now. But always in eternity. You know, folks, I think it all boils down to this. And I think this is where where Asaph is going as he comes to the end of, of Psalm 73. It comes down to our faith. Do we believe in Jesus, an afterlife, a judgment? If we don't, even the Bible says, if that's not real, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die. Man, if you came from nothing and you're returning to nothing, what difference does it make how you live and what you do? Whatever works for you, it's all nothingness. But if there is an accountability, if there is a judgment... If this life is really setting up for how eternity is going to be experienced and lived, then we have no choice, do we? But to live and operate by righteousness. Let me say it again, folks. No one is getting away with anything. Listen to the message of the Old Testament that is certainly spoken of in the New Testament. Look at uh, Ecclesiastes twelve fourteen. For God will bring... What's that word say right there? No, that person got away with that. They did that. I know it was wrong, and they profited from it, and it worked well for them, and that was 10 years ago. They got every deed into judgment. Every deed will be brought into judgment. Well, what about the ones God doesn't see? With every secret. You can kind of look at that verse and go, oh my gosh, this is a scary verse. Hey, good news here. Whether it's what? Good. Hey, this is not just about punishment and hell. Hey, listen, God sees the good things that nobody else saw. You ever done something really good and nobody applauded? Nobody, they didn't send a thank you note. Hey, guess what? God saw the good things that nobody else saw, nobody else rewarded you for, nobody else applauded. God says, I got it. I got it. 
but it is also the evil. And folks, that's our real problem right there, isn't it? I I don't know about y'all. The real problem in my life is not all the good that I've done that nobody saw. The real problem in my life is this right here. And so while we like to break up camps into the good people and the bad people, folks, we're all evil. We've all sinned. And that's why we desperately need the work of Jesus Christ and what he did for us on the cross. He is our righteousness. It's not the good or evil that I did that will give me the opportunity to hear Jesus say, Come, you who are blessed by my Father. It is the work of Jesus and what he did that gives me, gives you that opportunity. Let's wrap up. Five lessons from Asaph. Five things I learned. I hope you did too. Five things I'm taking away from from Psalm 73. Crises of faith are real even for the faithful. We can struggle in our faith. That happens in this world. Okay? It's real. Number two, when dealing with a crisis of faith, start with what you believe. You know, without Psalm 73, I don't know that I've ever seen that. I'm struggling with God. I don't like what he's doing. I can't make sense of what he's doing. How do I work through this? Start with what you believe. Okay, here's all these things I can't make sense of, but I believe this. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe he died on the cross for my sins and was resurrected so that I could be forgiven of sins, so that I could have eternal life. And if God never speaks to me, if God never does another thing for me on this planet, that work on the cross alone is the most profound expression of love I could ever know and experience. That I believe. Okay, go ahead and praise God for that. My goodness gracious, don't let that get bottled up. That I believe... Now let's work through this. Start with what you believe. Number three, remember that we all, we all leave a legacy of faith. You're impacting your kids. You're impacting the people that you're sitting in church with. You're struggling. You got a problem. Hey, as I work through this, how does it impact people around me? How's it going to impact people beyond me? Folks, Asaph's not just showing us a neat idea. All ideas that we learn in Scripture are God's principles. You're impacting people. Number four, sit in God's presence long and often until you gain His perspective. Amen? Sit there until you get it. Sit where? You know, this kind of goes back to Psalm 119. We said last week, man, let's make it a goal to read His Word every single day. You know what? When I'm in God's Word, I'm in God's presence. When I'm in God's Word, what am I reading? What am I studying? What am I memorizing? God's perspective. Keep going back there until you get it. Number five, live in light of the end, not as what is going on around you. Hey, folks, what's going on around you? Asaph said, I can't see it. I can't make sense of it. I can't tell where God is making this right. But then I remembered the end. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 says, It's been appointed unto man... To die once and then the judgment. When it looks like righteousness is losing and unrighteousness is winning, remember that. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for the realness of your word.
It's not a statement of propaganda and why we should buy in and how perfect everything is going to work. It deals with real issues. It deals with real problems. It even shows us people struggling with you. Not, not getting you, not getting what you're doing. And you show us how to work through that. Oh, Lord, right now in this prayer, and I don't, I don't know what everybody in this room is dealing with. Lord, I hope all right now we're not dealing with anything. I hope we're coming off a great week and looking forward to the one ahead. Lord, whatever we might be dealing with, I pray that right now as we sit in your sanctuary... We think on what we believe, how good you are, how loving you are, what you've done in our lives. God, help us to anchor to that as we try to work through, process, and understand the world that we live in. May we be so very grateful, a a gratefulness that touches my words, a gracefulness that touches my responses, a gracefulness that, gratefulness that, that, that touches my actions. May I be so very grateful for that profound demonstration of your love and your righteousness at the cross. May I see everything through that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.